good, man. Great, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me here in your office here in Salt Lake. Oh, yeah, thanks for bringing donuts. Yeah, anytime. I've always actually wondered where you kind of come up with your mad scientist work because, in all honesty, if no one has no idea what you do on in the, on social media, I, one, I get lost because I feel like I need, a, uh, I need to have an English Oxford dictionary to keep up with you. Two, um, it just seems like you have like a jungle gem to play with. Yeah, the um, in terms of like the space, it just made sense to have somewhere to train my clients, you know, because I'm interested in trying new things and maybe challenging things that we do. And so I needed a place to do that. So it's fun to have the climbing space here and then all the toys to play with. Um, but yeah, I think the, you know, my my background and I know that's a problem. I tend I try to not be as technical Um but it's, I, I mean, as a like a, an, an anatomy and physiology professor in a college, it's, you know, you have to break it down simple, but people need to know the complicated stuff, you know? So it's like, I think I make assumptions that people understand more about physiology than they do, like when I post things on Instagram, mm -hmm. right? So I've been getting better at making it more simple, but I totally can understand that it tends to be like confusing. Yeah. Well, we're jumping right into this, but I'm not going to assume my audience knows well, everyone, in my opinion, if you're a rock climber and you don't know who you are, that's really weird to me. But I'm not going to assume everyone else knows who you are. So can you tell everybody who you are, where you're from, and what is your relation to, I guess, it, really rock climbing? But you work with athletes from all different disciplines, do you? Um, I work with athletes from other disciplines, but the majority of my business in the last two years has been primarily rock climbers. Um, I come from a background of other sports. Um, I grew up in Utah, uh, primarily doing, you know, the typical three-sport athlete. I wrestled, I played football, and I played baseball. And I was a pretty good athlete, naturally good at all of those, but not excellent at any of those necessarily, so a very general good athlete. But my primary sport was baseball. And so I, when I moved to college, I had so much sport in my life that I was just so over it. And I was lucky to meet some friends that were from Michigan that were outdoor enthusiasts and a couple of them had gone on Knowles courses and okay. they were like such interesting, different people than I was used to that I just like gravitated towards these friends. And these friends are really what got me interested in rock climbing. That's cool. That's actually, it's funny. I think in Utah, you would just naturally have, it's just so abundant here. So I, like, you know, just being like from Texas, I assume everyone would at least rock climbs and skis here. And it's a misconception. But that's cool. And I didn't realize that was your introduction. So it's kind of talking about your origin story into climbing. Like what made it stick for you? Was it bouldering? Was it sport? Or was it like really why did you like uh, like it and stick with it? Um, I, when I, well, it's funny you mentioned like being in Utah. Like climbing as like a popular thing is pretty new, right? Like around the world. And even in Utah, like I would drive up the canyons going to other sporting events. And I would see people on the sides of the wall. And I'd be like, wow. Well, that looks cool. And I always had like a, based on my body type and my genetics, I was always pretty strong at like pulling. So I was a really good Greco-Roman wrestler. That was like my primary discipline. And so I was, I always thought in the back of my mind, I was like, I'd probably be pretty good at that. That looks like something that would be fun. And so then when I met my friends who were rock climbers, I would just like, I, you know, I went to school in Hawaii to play baseball originally. And we would go traveling around the island, just hitchhiking and going adventuring. Right. So my real love for climbing came from the adventure. Like I really fell into trad climbing and didn't even really like bouldering all that much because it wasn't as much of an adventure for me as mm -hmm. trad climbing was. So that was my 
primary interest in rock climbing was into trad climbing. So where did your, I guess, is there any place like fond memory kind of like, yeah, is there a fond memory or is there a memory that you remember the most that kind of was like, this really stands out in your mind is like one of your most favorite places that you've traveled and a place you'd maybe recommend other people to go to. Oh, for climbing? Yeah. Oh, geez. Indian Creek is like without question my favorite place on the planet for rock climbing. Um, you know, when I started climbing, I started climbing in Colorado. So I moved from Hawaii to Colorado with a friend and lived in Crested Butte. And there's actually a really cool boulder field below Mount Crested Butte where I had no idea about bouldering other than there's these rocks and there was chalk on them. And I got a pair of shoes from a local store and just like would go out there every day and just like train. I was just like psyched to like learn how to move on the rock. And then after that, I moved back to Salt Lake City and met some friends that knew trad climbing. And so we would trip to Indian Creek, you know, every weekend to go climb cracks in Indian Creek. And so that's really where I became more, I guess, more of a climber officially, you mm -hmm. know, where I was actually like trying hard and, you know, doing some sort of training methodology. Um, so I really love Indian Creek, have a big love for Yosemite because then when I became more proficient, we would go there in the summer and then... Zion for sure is probably now my favorite place to, to crack climb. I recently went to the creek for the first time and I was humbled very, 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 very quickly because uh, I had never, I'd always kind of like blown it off as of like, I'll get there. And I realized I definitely missed out on not getting there earlier. Uh, and I went to Zion prior to that. And Zion is breathtaking. That place is probably one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Yeah, it's very cool. And my my like natural athleticism kind of catered towards Indian Creek where mm -hmm. you can get away with being less technically proficient in Indian Creek and still climb hard just by being strong. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so like but then yeah. when I would come to Little Cottonwood and trad climb and try and climb the same grades, you would get destroyed, right? So it was very like humbling and interesting to see the difference there in terms of you know, where you gravitate towards, right? And for yeah. me, like, you can climb hard in Indian Creek because it requires you to pull really hard. You know, yeah. where on granite, it's not the same style, right? No, it's so, not. It's a yeah. different animal altogether. <laughs> it really is. And so that's why I think originally I was, like, kind of intimidated by bouldering, at least here locally, because I'd go bouldering here and would just get totally destroyed. And you're like, well, maybe I'm maybe I'm not as proficient as I thought I was, you know, based on what you were yeah. doing somewhere in another another location. Yeah, that's funny. So now and now you just like eat boulders for breakfast is basically. Well, I mean, it's just a function of like my, you know, my life. Um, and I have kids and I really love spending time with my kids. And mm -hmm. when I went to graduate school, I went with one daughter and then I came back with uh, three kids and then we had our fourth kid. And so like I love spending time with them. And when I came home, I would do I went and did a couple walls in Zion you know, it takes all day. Like, it I'm does. Gone no, all day, and I'm like, and there's another story in my life that I was in an accident in the creek, which is interesting. But then I'm kind of scared. You know, I've kind of lost a lot of that, like, you know, like um, what's the word I'm looking for? A lot of that, like, like uh, boldness. I mean, yeah. To like try at my limit trad climbing, and I tried to do that when I came back from graduate school in Zion, and got scared shitless. That's interesting because it's funny. I did a previous ep episode with a friend of mine named Justin. We call him the Wolverine uh, just because he's a monster and he's a new dad. Uh, and, you know, he talks about, you know, dad style climbing now. Right. And dad style is like, you know, it's just really just go out for a quick half day, smash and grab. Right. And you come right back. 
And so uh, the question to him was, I was like, how do you still train hard, pull hard, because you still like to climb hard and being a dad? And, you know, his big comment was, is like, he's like, you have to redefine your definition of hard. Right. And right. so I th think my question is to you is like, have you felt like you've had to do that? And did you find that emboldering or what is that? I'm, I maybe have a different um different uh, experience just because I know so much about like training mm -hmm. where for me I'm stronger than I've ever been like even when I was younger I just don't have the ability to beat my body up as bad yeah but with like getting older I am more strategic with how I train and the things that I do mm -hmm. which certainly like is is really good because I can save more energy overall but be very specific with what I do so that can transfer better to climbing um, and so yeah I think the being able to take my kids with me in the morning is just like the coolest thing to do. And it's not sustainable to really take them trad climbing or even sport. I mean, it is sport climbing, but I like hanging out with them and letting them try boulders and letting them climb awesome. the rocks too. You know, that's really what I got me interested in bouldering. And like with my job, if I'm working with rock climbers all the time and, you know, interested in progressing or at least like re having people reconsider how they train for climbing, like I have to like, boulder hard too and i'd never like really tried you know it was always like i could mm. climb 512 plus trad but never like really tried to boulder hard right i just never tried so yeah that's really good to try that's interesting because i always as a coach full time um you know i always feel super rusty when i'm not pulling really hard or trying really hard on a route and i find that from a coaching perspective i feel like i can't as adequately help my clients or my athletes and so the same thing applies to you when you're working with the same, and you're saying the same thing applies to you when you're working, especially with higher level boulders. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. You have to speak the same language. Mm -hmm. You have to understand the struggles, right? You have to know mm -hmm. where they're coming from too directly. Right. And I can cater to trad climbers cause I've done that way more than bouldering. But when it comes to the nuances of bouldering, I've learned so much from like Chris in our PCC conferences that, those people that have been in the trenches, so to speak, longer doing those things, you mm -hmm. learn, you're like, oh, wow, I totally understand that now. Like, I get that now. Before you thought you maybe got it, but it just takes time to develop all those, you know, all the suffering and maybe all the things that you, like the hardships that are, come with a long, longer duration of a discipline of a yeah. sport, you know, which is very, very cool for bouldering for me because... For my age, I'm almost 40 and I've, you know, lived here most of my life and climbed here a lot of my life. People that are my age have like exhausted the boulders because they're like, oh, I've been climbing there for 10 years and I know all the boulders. These uh, ones, like they get stuck. For me, it's like a brand new thing. Like that's awesome. I haven't even explored a lot of the boulders. I haven't even been to a lot of the boulders. So it's still pretty new, which is kind of fun too. That's awesome. So like segueing into your practice now, because... I mean, I think everybody has a good idea to like who you are and where you come from. Um, exactly, I, you know, how do you, what do you do to service the climbing community or service people? Like if someone, because I know you're, you're a chiropractor, are you also a physical therapist? Yeah, well, I have a master's degree in exercise physiology. Okay. So, and nowadays, like when you go to grad school, if you go to chiropractic school or PT school, Essentially, they're very hard to separate in terms of what they do and their skill set and their knowledge base. So they look very similar. Okay. So, you know, I had two years of physical therapy in chiropractic school, which is what oh. physical therapists learn too. And then physical therapists also get like manipulation and things that chiropractors do. So 
for for people that are my age that go to those graduate schools, it's very hard to tell them apart if they were like, you go into a room and there's 10 people, you don't know what they do. They look very similar. So um, so I, I can't bill as a physical therapist, but do a lot of the same things. But my real interest um, and my expertise, I would say, is in like tendon rehabilitation. That's what I did my master's thesis on. And so lots of connective tissue injuries, pulley injuries, finger injuries, shoulder injuries, you know, is the majority of things that I do um, clinically for people, either in person or remote. Okay, that's pretty awesome. And your practice, and how long have you been involved in this? Uh, how long have you been doing this? Uh, I've been out of school for seven years now. Okay. Then. So, and then has your practice always been um, C four? Like, I guess is, I guess the question I'm trying to ask here, and I'm trying to think about how to word this here, is, let me think here. I'm kind of losing my train of thought. Is your I guess because when I've listened to other podcasts with you, you started your practice with your father. You started this mm -hmm. here and this. And I guess is this. I guess the real question is: is have you always known this is kind of what you wanted to do, or did you kind of? I guess some people kind of stumble into this. Obviously, you knew that, or you were because you also mentioned you were a professor of physiology. Was that what you were doing before? Yeah, no, I did that with school too. So I did not want to do what my dad did, right? Like like kids do they're like i don't want to do what my dad did mm -hmm. right and then um it became where i went to college and had did an undergrad in cultural anthropology which i was really interested in medical mm -hmm. anthropology specifically and then human biology and so then i was looking into options for graduate school interested in doing social work interested in going to law school so i could be like a public defender for like you know cultures like specifically southwest cultures in utah so there was all these like things to do. And then I had the opportunity to go to graduate school where my father was a teacher for like for no t for no cost. Right. So I could go for free under like a tuition like scholarship. And so from the practical standpoint, I was like, wow, I'm really familiar with what he does. I like that it works with athletes. I still get to be an educator and a teacher because I was always really interested in being a teacher. And so that was the path I went simply because it made sense at mm -hmm. that moment. And so since then, it's been like coming back and kind of molding it into what I'm really interested in. And what I'm really interested in is like teaching people, you know, I'm, I really like being a teacher. And as a professor, I was essentially just, I really spent time learning anatomy in grad school. Like that was, for some reason, it stuck in my mind as like the topic that I do not want to, you know, forget. Yeah. So immediately out of school, I was like, I need to get a job as a teacher because I don't want to forget those things because it's really easy to forget stuff. You just stop talking about it and you forget about it. You know, the the details, right? And I'm kind of OCD for like the the details. Uh, I, I can definitely yeah. <laughs> Which is maybe an annoying thing, but that's for sure with anatomy. So that was like the objective there. But since then, like the C4HP, maybe the name thing, I wanted my office to not be like, I didn't want like a chiropractic clinic. Like I wanted a more comprehensive space where okay. people could do strength and conditioning. They could do massage therapy. We have a massage therapist here, do manual therapy stuff, which I don't really do, but, and then do exercise rehab. That's awesome. Can we back up for a second? You had mentioned something you were considering law school and that were you wanting to do like advocacy work or mm -hmm. work? Like kind of, can you just kind of like unpack that a little bit? I just, I'll be honest with you, that would have never crossed my mind in a million years that you were actually even on that track. Oh yeah, yeah. So like, I mean, studying cultural anthropology is like, 
eye-opening to how, you know, how unfortunate that the experience of those people were, right, in the world and especially in my state. And so, you know, that just like led me to the idea that there's so much we can do to maybe help in that regard. And there's so many, there's so many good reasons that people need to be on that path and need to give a damn, you know. Yeah. And yeah. so, and so, I never really wanted to be a lawyer and work at a big law firm, but I was real, and I did work at a law firm when I was going to grad school then, and that sucked. Like those people hated their jobs and they hated their lives and they made a shit ton of money, but they were not happy at all, right? They were yeah. so unhappy. So I know I did not want to go that path, but I really wanted the education, you know, to yeah. do it. But at, at the moment, it was just like applied to some big law schools and got accepted to one. And then I had this other opportunity. And so my wife and I made All right, boys and girls. So let's talk about what is the fundamentally most important thing when we go outdoors. It is preparing ourselves for all things. But I think the one thing that we all forget more than anything else is preparing ourselves from the elements. We do such a good job of packing gear, ropes, knowing the topo, knowing everything. But don't drop the ball with improper gear and improper clothing, beyond clothing. Use the promo code ALWAYSREADY and get yourself the best gear you can possibly get. They make clothing for every place on this big, beautiful globe that we live in. So if you guys haven't already, check them out, beyondclothing.com. Use the promo code ALWAYSREADY. Save yourself a little coin and support this podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah. At, at the moment, it was just like applied to some big law schools and got accepted to one. And then I had this other opportunity. And so we made, my wife and I made the decision. We went moved to Missouri. Okay. Then And then have you still been involved in any advocacy or anything like work here i know like the big bears ears was a big thing here and that are you still able to kind of like i guess flex those muscles or, or like be involved within your position uh, like what you do here now and like just overall your overall status in the climbing community because i mean you're fairly well known and i don't know it's like have you still had a chance to do any of that or has it not been something that you've been able to put as much time towards yeah i definitely haven't been able to put as much time towards it aside from like you know being able to donate money here and there where i can you know um but like in terms of my time like you know my i'm really lucky that my wife doesn't have to work and mm -hmm. she loves being a mom and so like i work for both of us you know so it's like i have five people to take care of so it's for me, it's all like work, you know, I got, I got, I got too many things to do. So I don't have lots of free time, unfortunately, but I certainly like, you know, give money whenever I can to those places. The Bears Ears is one of the coolest places in the world, you know, and like, and we just been. went down to Cedar Mesa a couple of weeks ago and we're going to go down, I'm going to take my kids out next weekend. And like my favorite place in Utah is a place called Grand Gulch, which is kind of in the middle of Cedar Mesa. Okay. What, what, is, what do you do there? We just go hike and look at ruins. There's thousands of native ruins um, in that area that are not like in a national park. So you can like actually hike to them and see them and like oh, wow. explore, you know, you don't go in them, but you can like explore them, and, like look around. It's just, it's so breathtaking. It's so cool. And there's so many places to go down there. So I really want my kids to know how important those things are and mm -hmm. be able to, you know, have that same like experience. I fell in love with those things when I was in college hiking in Southern Utah. So you kind of bring up an interesting thing that I definitely deal with with a lot as a full-time coach. And I guess it's kind of some insight, especially for Utah. I have parents ask me all the time, like, 
where do where can I take my kids? Where can I do this? Where can I like adventures or things that I have? Do you guys have like a tick list? Because I have parents who ask me like they're going to go travel here, they're going to go do there, mm-hmm. and like and what is the age range of your kids? My kids, uh, my son uh, Jack is three. Okay, and like he went to all those, you know, and there's certainly more accessible ones, and there's ones that are further away. There's ones where you need four wheel drive, ones where you can get to in a van. So my three year old, we were able to go see six seven different sites oh, wow. that we hiked to. So that would be totally accessible for most people. Okay. Then, and then your oldest? My oldest is 11. Oh, okay. So that's pretty easy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So now are there any other places that you would probably recommend for families or people to kind of go to? Oh, in Utah? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, Utah is so amazing. Texas sure. is like a, a hot, like a one shot flight. When I got here, it was easy. So oh, like yeah, a yeah. lot of people oh, yeah. vacation here from texas right and so like i get asked all the time i have friends who are guides here and so i'm like usually linking people up and guides but people ask me all the time either in colorado or here like what would you go do because like we'll find a guide to take our kids but we have five other kids we don't know what to, or four other kids we don't know what else to do yeah i would not go to arches national park really right, that's like, like on like, every single person's oh, yeah, people, list. but this it's just like it's it's cool and it's beautiful to see some sandstone arches but there's so many cooler things to do in utah and the cool thing about Cedar Mesa is it's in it's by a city called Blanding, which is south of Moab, like by an hour and a half, hour and fifteen minutes. And there, it's very rural, not like nothing like Moab, which is totally crazy. Mm-hmm. But outside of Blanding, there's just so much to explore that's like so not cluttered with people and cluttered with like cars and ATVs and all this shit that comes with like things like Moab Yeah, that you can really enjoy like the desert like and really have it be peaceful you know if you want to go big you can hike into Grand Gulch it's a 50 mile canyon you can go backpacking in there which is spectacular or you can do day hikes you know into other places nice. you need like a permit to camp there or anything like that? you need a permit but it's really easy to get one you know you can buy like a 7 day backcountry permit and it is I think I've been down there three different times but you know, you can every it's essentially like hiking through a gigantic drainage ditch, right? With thousand foot walls. But every canyon you turn and you walk up a side can you see like native ruins and like awesome, you know, man. art on the walls. Like people lived there not that long ago. It's just so it's such a cool experience. That's awesome. I like I, I have not explored much of Utah and I don't know a lot of that. Like like I said, my basically I've been from Salt Lake to the creek. And then right. I know nothing else right, in between. Right. Well, yeah, the creek is sick, you know, right? And you drive to the end of the creek where that's the southern end of Canyonlands. Yeah. There's very cool hiking back there, too. Right but past the six shooters? Uh, yes, you keep driving to the end and it essentially dead ends at a parking lot. But if you keep going past Moab, just don't turn down that road going west towards the creek. You run right into Blanding. Huh. And that's where Cedar that's where a large big concentration of the native like ruins in Cedar Mesa are. Oh, that's awesome. You mentioned earlier before we got on this that uh you've started coaching your son's little league team and you're like between managing your work and everything like that and you also mentioned going uh going remote. Which one is harder, remote coaching and working with athletes or coaching your son's little league team? Oh, coaching my son's little league team is the hardest thing I've ever done, (laughs) (laughs) without question. You know, because, like, you can – like, I spend a lot of time with my kids practicing, like, especially because baseball is something I'm so familiar with that for him it's really easy for me to coach him and get him to be competent. You know, so that's what it requires to, like, be better or not better but, like, competent at a sport and enjoy it right but i'm not in control of those other kids other than when we have practice 
And some of them have parents that do the same thing and some don't have that opportunity. So all my extra time at those practices are essentially trying to spend time with those other kids, which is great and I love it. But then when you go to a game, you have 11 kids that you're stressed about performing well. And when they don't perform well, I just like carry that burden with me. Uh-huh. Right? And that's like maybe not. I'm, I mean, I don't know. It's the first time I've ever coached a little league team, but I want them to do good and I know how awesome they are. And then when they don't do good, it's so sad for me. Right. It's so frustrating. <laughs> yeah. No, I know what you mean. I, my, I've said this before. My dad was definitely kind of like the nicest stage dad you had ever met. And I'll never forget, I was playing football one time, and I had caught the ball in an interception. Like, I I originally track and field. I did high jump. And I just jumped and caught the football. And I was like, oh, I have the ball, and I'm looking at it. Oh. <laughs> and my dad's like, run, run. And I'm like, what? And he's like, run. I'm like, oh. And I, like, start running the wrong way, actually, first. And then I, like, turn double oh, back great. and go that way. And I get, like, and I get a little bit down there, and I, I get clobbered. And the game is over, and I'm like, how do I do, Dad? He's like, great, let's go get ice cream. But during the game, he's, like, kicking trash cans, oh, yeah. screaming, oh, yeah. yelling, like, in the background. And people are like, your father is so upset. But then when the game is over, he's like, yeah, we're going to go get pizza and ice cream. We're just going to go hang out and be yeah. super excited. So, And now as a coach, I, like, literally sometimes I'm, like, hiding behind a trash can watching the kids climb because I'm, like, balled up in a ball. Oh, because yeah. some of them, they respond really well when I'm just, like, Ugh. Because I walk up to them and I'm like, I want it more than I want it so bad for you that I wish I could pour the want that I have right. into you. And it like it's a good hurt. And then right. other ones I have to hide from because they they associate my behavior with disappointment. And I guess the a thought that do you think that are these kids so little that it doesn't even really matter? Do does that ever does that thought ever cross your mind? Yeah, I think for I mean it's that's funny you bring that up because I would say for the most part most of them have no clue what's going on in terms of like if they're winning or losing or how they're performing. You know, a funny story is like we were losing this game five to zero in the first inning. We're the home team. Mm-hmm. So we're just standing out there. They're just letting runs go in, you know. And this kid out in left field is standing there. I'm in left center, just kind of like herding animals. And he looks up at me and he's like, Are we winning? And I was like, <laughs> We haven't even gotten up to the bat yet. No, we're not winning. <laughs> He's like just like standing out there. So there's a point where it's like got to be just fun for the kids. And, you know, I kind of grew up in, a, like we were mentioning, a different generation where it was all about performance. And yeah, like my dad was a here. really good athlete. And so I was like, you know, scolded or like frowned upon if not performing well. Right. And I never wanted to do that for my kids. And so I've never like pushed my kids to play baseball for that reason. Cause I'm like, I, I'm so familiar with baseball and I have so many memories from baseball that. I don't want to be that dad. Yeah. But then my seven-year-old son's like, I want to play baseball. And I was like, looks like I'm being coached, right? But, like, it's been a really good learning experience for me to not, like, be frustrated with him or mad at him if he mm-hmm. doesn't perform like I expect him to. So this is, I guess, kind of a thought, and maybe you already answered this, but I just want to, like, back up and think about this. So for parents, one of the hardest things that I have for parents as a coach, and now that you are a coach and a parent – this is an interesting question that I'm asking you. Um, one of the hardest things I ask parents is I'm like, I need you to let me be the, the coach and you just pour your kids with love and affection. And I right. find that it's very, very hard for parents to cross that line. Um, do you struggle with that with your own kid or do you see parents doing that 
like wanting to like overly coach your kids, wanting to like not make it fun anymore. And then how do you diffuse that? Yeah, that's a really hard question for sure. That happens to everyone. I think that's wants to be a coach that like has had the experience of being the athlete on the other Mm -hmm. side too. You know, it's really hard to not be frustrated when you know your children can perform better. Right. And there's so many moving parts in a kid's life. Like, how in the hell do we expect them to perform at their highest level all the time? Like, it just is not logical. It's not realistic, right? No, but not for a toddler. No, and not even for an 11-year-old. But again, it's really hard to stop and think about it, right? And that's like, that's what my wife is so good at. Like, she's always just calming you down. Like, it's not that big of a deal, right? And actually learning to listen to her has been such an amazing experience like experience of mine by being a coach is because I do get overly worked up about like how my kid performs and how mm-hmm. the team performs. But at the end of the day, the whole objective is to get them out there and have them make friends and have them do something that's fun and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And if I make it not fun for my son, then that's defeating the whole purpose. And why the hell am I doing it anyways? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Big picture stuff. Like for me, uh, like my whole life was always kind of built up to me going to play college baseball. And then when I went there, I didn't want to play. I was like, this is not fun. Like, I don't want to go to practice anymore. And then when you're in college, you don't have to. And I was like, cool, I'm, I'm done. You know, I'm going to do something else. So I, when was I didn't that, play. When was that realization when you were there? Was it just like a day at practice? or Just when I got there. When I got there, like whole team warm-up stuff, just like the, all the things that you had to do in preparation for, like it was in the – or late summer early falls in july uh-huh. just like no i don't have to do this anymore i'm i'm cool i'm done i'm gonna stay here and i'm gonna i made some new friends and like totally flipped my life and went a different direction you know still athletics is what i'm interested in but it was, it was really hard to do really like especially for like my dad and my parents but like ultimately it was a, the, a great decision for me for sure i'm sure that was very liberating at the yeah, time for sure yeah, that's like, I cannot, I mean, I, I didn't go to school for sports or anything like that, but I can imagine the emotional burden of someone wanting to do that. It's like the same thing. It's like I have hard conversations with kids when they want to drop off the team, the climbing team, and their right. parents have been spending X amount of dollars for the last 5, 10, 12 years getting into it. And so I imagine it's kind of a heavy, heavy decision yeah. to make. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the whole, like, a lot of time and energy. And I have tons of respect for my dad and parents that like I now know how much damn time it takes to actually be there for your kids like six hours like this is in April it's been seven extra hours a week that I have that I spend with these kids like that's a pretty big time commitment right it is. it's massive you do that over 10 years 15 years of your life you're <laughs> like holy shit that was like two years of my life just spent like doing baseball Oh my god! So I don't awesome. know. It was. It's been. It's been a really cool learning opportunity for me. I. I don't know that I'm. I think I'm technically a good coach and I'm supportive, but I think in some cases I get like too emotional with it almost. Where like next year I think I'll just be an assistant coach and I'll just like be there to help, but not like from know, carry from a so much season, of the burden. From a seasoned youth coach, I will tell you this: more emotion is better than less. Oh, because okay. <laughs> well, it, it just because. <sighs> Yeah, the big thing with they kids, need someone to give a damn ultimately. Well, yeah, and the big thing with like I I have to explain this to parents all the time. Kids have emotional complexity. They have emotional depth. They just and they their m- emotional maturity is not understanding. That's the it. Like they're they're emotionally mature enough 
for where they are in their age, but they don't, they know they feel this way, but they don't know why this feeling is this way. And sometimes when a coach is super, super stoic and does not acknowledge the way they feel or does not show emotion or does not do this, what I've found over the years is those kids immediately start to invert and think something's wrong with them or they think something else is going on. But like what you're not doing is validating the thoughts and thoughts and emotions in a child all the way up to the age of basically 14. Like realistically, 14 is when it ends. But like thoughts and emotions are one and the same and mm. in my experience. And so I would tell you the exact opposite. Oh, like continue to be that emotional person. You know, now you can temper it and measure it in different ways. You can deliver it to different kids and different things because ki different kids are different <clears throat> with cultural and family and different backgrounds. But like don't take the emotion out because if you take the emotion out, they don't know what to do. They don't know how right. to read you because children read emotion before they read words, before they understand words. Because how many times have you said a complete sentence to these kids and they're all like, huh? Oh, every time. <laughs> yeah, that's that's good to hear. That's that's like, uh, I like that support because it, it for me, it like confuses me as to how much emotion I want to give these kids and how stressed out I need to be about this or, you know, but... It's yeah. funny because now that the season's almost over, like, and my son, like, he, like, he's so sad, right? For me, I'm like, oh, the season's over. Thank God. Like, now I can, like, have these extra time, extra time. And I don't need to be so stressed out about it. But my son will say, and no, I was standing the other day. We have two more baseball games. He's like, oh, that's sad. I don't get to hang out with my friends. So that's really all he cares about. So what we're going to do is we're going to continue to have baseball practice throughout the summer. No, just, nice. just for the hell of it. Just so my son has friends to play with. That's and awesome. it's fun for me to go outside, you know, and then every once in a while I'll be like, all right, kids, you throw to me and try and, you know, hit, hit balls over the fence, like just for fun. You know, we actually bent one of the, one of the kids' bats doing that. So I had to buy some extra bats, <laughs> me and a dad. But yeah, so I, th I think the big picture thing, um, certainly like these kids need support and they need people to give a damn about their lives and, help them and whether it's, you know, me or hopefully their parents are doing it too. But I think that's the the whole goal. So has all of this experience with coaching youth. And I feel like anytime you coach anybody or a group of people for a long time, it cannot help but bleed into other areas. But have you noticed coaching this has improved, give you more insight or done anything else in within your practice? Um, I think uh, not necessarily just because most of the, um, at least a lot of my business now is consulting with people. Most of those people are adults. And so I don't work with a lot of kids mm -hmm. like in on a regular basis other than my own children. But um, I would say like just trying to be more simple, I think is something that I need to get better at doing. Um, you know, not making assumptions, I think is another thing that I've kind of learned to, to not do and not assume that people understand things that seem really simple to me right mm -hmm. like swinging a bat seems so simple like just swing thing level right but like kids can do it when you're you know providing oversight but then in the game it just goes totally different right so i think uh that would maybe be one of them is being able to like make sure we kind of start foundational like every time at the beginning of every practice so to speak people need to do the basics again because the basics really build on each other mm -hmm. to make this more complicated you know, structure it maybe as an example for the swing, but no, no, it makes sense because I know I do the same thing with my clients in person. Like you kind of have to start from ground zero. And I know I find with adults, like 
basics is not always the, the simple basics for everyone is not always the same. I guess I don't know if I'm right. saying that correctly because, you know, like a prime example um, that I always use is um, when I ask an adult to switch or match feet on a hold, the first thing they always do is a pull up. Right. 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 And I, and then now, and then when I talk to kids about this, I'm always just like, you know, I've explained, and over the years of coaching children, I've always been like, okay, I need you to have orangutan arms. How does orangutan hang? And they just get on the wall and hang. I'm like, all right, I need you to now move your feet and do this. And they all do a pull up. And I'm like, up, oh, you turned in. I was like, you're no longer an orangutan. Right. And it's funny. It's like, I, so translating that to adults is like, I need you to be as loose as possible. Like the moment, right. like, the moment you feel your shoulders or anything, I, sometimes I use the exact same verbiage with adults because I find that like, I don't know, if you can't explain a simple thing to a seven-year-old, then it's really, really still hard and complicated to explain it to an adult that has a perception or has a, a pre, has a notion in their mind that they already do something well. Right. And I, and I just, I imagine that's a challenge doing most, since you're doing most of your work remotely and consulting, like, do you still how do you convey this or sorry are do you find a problem like conveying or getting the simple basics across to certain adult, adults or do you try to work with people who have a certain level of competency coming into it um i think there's a mix of both uh but i would say doing the reason that i'm so kind of biased now towards doing remote consulting is i think it's a better service in my opinion in a lot of different ways because i get people's attention like they expect to learn for 45 minutes when we talk on the phone. Oh, if someone sense. pays to come into an office with any healthcare provider, they expect to get some sort of service that they're making the assumption is giving some sort of fix or some sort of like correction in that short term, right? Yeah. But certainly anyone that understands physiology knows that that's not a thing, no. right? What makes way more sense is really educating people about different components of their physiology in their life and then giving them things to do that are supported by other, I have another Instagram account for my clients, which is a video library with tons of other like more longer, like, you know, lecture type things to reinforce ideas and then mm -hmm. exercises. That I think is, a, is just as good of a service because the people expect to learn during that 45 minutes. And then they expect to take it upon themselves to actually do the stuff, right? Because in the context of like rehabbing someone, that's really has been shown to be the most effective. Like all the stuff that we can do in person might influence someone's pain in the short term, but that's not a really long-term sustainable like yeah. solution for a pain complaint. What's way more important is that they learn about programming. They learn about different types of loading. They learn about how their sleep influences their recovery, learning about their dietary choices. Like all of that stuff I'm really interested in teaching people because those are the sustainable habit forming things that are going to help them continue to do their sport, you know, for a long time. So I think in a lot of ways, that's a better service. Um, and now with technology, I have an iPad and some really cool anatomy apps and, you know, an Apple pencil so I can like do graphs and it can be very visual, you know. So I think I've and that's really what I'm more passionate about is I still get to educate people, but then I still get to provide them with a good service that they can do, you know, on their own. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that following you online because I've followed you for a very long time. And I've definitely seen the – you've always given out quality information, but your visual your visual interpretation or your visual delivery, your delivery of your information has definitely improved to the point where 
and this is my big thing is like you can look at an Instagram post and you can get a general idea of what you're trying to do. And then immediately you're more enticed to dive into the content and, right. the, and the actual post. And I've noticed that that has drastically gone up. And it's it's very obvious. It's very tell. So I, you definitely have been doing good work there. Oh, yeah. That's cool. That's good feedback. And I, I've, I have no idea what I'm doing, right? Like anyone with Instagram, like I don't have a damn clue what I'm doing yeah. other than these are the things that I'm doing at the moment or that I'm interested in or that I think might be helpful that I hear from clients. Yeah. You know, so I, you hear a lot of the same things and – then what I've always just done naturally as a person is just challenge those things for whatever reason. So a lot of the general rehab, you know, things like there's good reason to ask questions about those things and then mm -hmm. dig a little bit more into what other people or science tells us about those things and then, you know, bring that opinion to it as well. You know, make sure the world's not so one-sided with its um, suggestions for what people do. So that's kind of what my Instagram account is about. But it kind of brings back to like making assumptions because someone like you has been following me for a long time, things like in the finger training programs or other the isometric stuff that I've been doing for a lot of years, I assume that people already know that stuff. But yeah. that's totally not true. You know, because as a following on an account keeps growing, you assume that everyone already knows the stuff that you've been talking about for a few years. So that's hard to like stop yeah. and remember because you get sick of talking about it, right? Like, Yeah, no. I mean, it's like it's almost like running a restaurant. You have to ask someone, have you been here before? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And most people I don't think have been there before. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you, I always forget that. I assume that people are familiar with my work and then I can just like add on top of that, right? Mm -hmm. And Instagram is a kind of a stupid platform like that because it's not. It's yeah. just like throwing it in there, right? And then, hey, you figure this shit out. And so I get so <laughs> many questions. And when it comes to customized rehab, like, you know, this, you could do the same thing for two different people, but they're not going to get the same outcome. Uh, no. right? And so that's why the personalization of it really matters so yeah but that's all good feedback so if someone wants to read up on you and like i guess it, so here's the question if someone wants they just saw your instagram what is the best place for them to go to get caught up up to speed and so as you're posting more content they have a better they have a better idea and then i think the next question is is if someone wants to acquire your services What's the process by doing that? Yeah, on my website, there's on the blog, there's maybe seven or eight blog posts um, that kind of talk about a lot of the things that I'm interested in um, from like testing standpoint and some mm -hmm. of the training stuff. And then I've done a bunch of training beta podcasts with Neely and then mm -hmm. I've done one with Power Company and then this one with you. So those are locations where people can um, learn more about stuff that I'm interested in. And then usually Instagram is a pretty easy way to get a hold of me. I try and be, um, good at responding to people's comments for the most part, unless it's like the same people just like asking for information over and over and over. And they're like, you know, then it becomes tiring, but, yeah. um, but I'm pretty easy to get a hold of and try and be really responsive to people. And then on my website, there's easy, you know, nice. easy way to find like consult stuff. Are you still taking new clients? Uh, yeah, so most the majority of my business is rehab. And mm -hmm. so unlike coaching where coaches, depending on the depth of the um, the depth of the commitment, a lot of coaches will be in contact more frequently with their mm -hmm. clients where most of my rehab clients, you know, I yeah, I definitely can take more clients there, but I usually consult with them every month. And so okay. it's not like a, you know, and we usually converse via DM uh, Instagram mm -hmm. as well. Just because I like the voicemail function over email. Oh, yeah. You use that a lot. It's amazing. I do. Yeah. I do. It really is so nice. Yeah. So I use that as the communication platform. Um, 
but event, but I'm almost to the point where you know it's it's hard to know how much is too much or when yeah. you're booked full, right? Because right now my life in, has been more busy than it's ever been in the last couple months, and so I don't know. You know, it's hard to know when that time is to say okay. I can't take any more clients. You know, so at this point, yeah, but at some point I'm going to run myself into the ground. <laughs> Well, man, I want to thank you for your time, and I wanted to make sure we got gave people an opportunity to find you and if they wanted to acquire your services. And I want to thank you for allowing me just to kind of get to know you a little bit more because I am one of those people who have listened to almost every podcast and everything that you've ever been on. And the main reason why I wanted to get to today to talk to you is, like, I know so much of what you do, but I really wanted to know more of who you are. Oh, yeah, and, that's cool. And that's, like, the one thing that was important to me. So thank you for giving me your time. And honestly, thank you for letting me into a little bit of your life. Oh, yeah, you bet, man. Thanks for thanks for following the, like, that's definitely nothing I plan on doing out of school. You know, I plan on having an office and having it be something local. And I always wanted to, well, I was excited to work with climbers because that's what I had been in love with for the 10 years prior. You know, and so I never, like, and it was really random with Instagram. Someone one day when it was a climbing partner, his name's Bryce. Shout out Bryce Stockman. He's like, you should get an Instagram account. I was like, I don't even know what that is. I don't really, I didn't even have Facebook. Like I, my first smartphone was, I think when I was in graduate school, like I had a flip phone before that. Like oh, dude, I Alex Honnold style, didn't care. If I could still have one and get away with it, <laughs> I would. Well, it's so hard because no, I can run my business from my phone, right? Which yeah. is like amazing and shitty at the same time. So yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Hopefully it's not, you know, too ranty the Instagram account, but I you know it seems seems like a good place to hopefully provide information and not anger too many people, although that happens sometimes too. Um, but yeah. If you have haters, it means you're doing something right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, brother. Cheers. Cheers.